Hey guys, welcome to Minefield. This is Joshua Michael here, my best friend Colin over there in OKC. I'm in Colorado Springs. How you doing, brother? I'm good, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're waiting for me to just launch right into it again. I really was. <laughs> I was like, dude, no, that's a, that's not professional. We got to do it this way. I've been pestering you about that for a little bit. <laughs> I I remember. I remember. Yeah, it's been a good. It's been a it's been a crazy week. We had ups downs. It's true. Left ways, sideways. It's nice to get together with you. Yeah, dude. Uh, what did we talk to? We did a Star Trek the other night. That was some pretty good content. Actually, it was weird because you had. it was one of those we did where you hadn't seen it before. And, of course, I've seen it a million times. So we were recording that instead of you watching it once, having some ideas, and then us uh, reconvening on it, which I think is the better way to do it. But uh, we just went ahead and recorded it anyway. So we were like, whatever, we'll throw that on there. Uh, no, I, I think the way we did it was great for this particular episode. Yeah. Um, remind me the the title one more time. The Best of Both Worlds, Parts 1 and 2. Parts 1 and 2. Yep. Yeah, because like one of the whole points of it and one of the things we've talked about is wishing that there's some, you know, there's some things that we wish that we could rewatch, erase our brains so we can rewatch it again and experience it the way mm-hmm. we did the first time. And it was it was kind of like you living vicarious off me, and at the same time, me chiming in with things that I might, you know, that we both had our unique perspectives. Yeah, but that that fucked my world up. That was that was definitely a lot to digest. And I was talking to my friend Jeremy at work today. I just messaged him on the on the messenger, and he was just, uh, "Is what's up?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I watched the best of both worlds. Life isn't the same anymore." He's like, "Let's go smoke right now." <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, all right. So we went outside, and he's like, "So life changed forever." He's like, "Yeah." He's like, "You just didn't understand, man. It was the longest wait in between, <laughs> in between the cliffhanger. Like we didn't know what was gonna happen." I'm like, "Yeah." Colin addressed the whole thing, man. I felt like so bad for you guys. It was, it was, it was a bigger dick move than what they did in the X Files uh, usually. But man, was it worth the payoff? You know, the, in between the five minutes from from one to the other for me, though. It's impressive watching that show and saying that. None of them are ever going to be the same, but they don't have to pay attention to it in every single episode like they would do in like uh, Deep Space Nine. Because the things they did on that show, they no Star Trek had never uh, from one episode to the next mattered as heavily on original series and TNG by the until Deep Space Nine came along, and it was a, it was a sequential show after that. Once, once season f- like five started, season four, maybe. Gosh, I don't know. Maybe even season three in DS Nine. You pretty much needed to be watching it to know what the hell was going on. So yeah, that's the way comics are too. A lot of times, you've got to you got to know what's happening, and at least they have a s- numeric order. Yeah, and they also don't have the you know that all that all has their pitfalls with comics. You know, you know, if someone doesn't meet their deadline or is constantly falling behind, like with Tony Daniel with The Walking Dead, or Oh, yeah. But this was this was, you know, they didn't know if they were going to bring it back or not. And that I, I'm sorry you went through that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, without the Internet back then and we did talk about TV Guide without the Internet back then, we didn't really know just 
what was going on in the production world. You'd you'd catch you'd see something advertised for Entertainment Tonight during the like five o'clock news hour or news half hour and be with the local news and be like, oh my god, they're going to talk about Star Trek, and you're like, well, I guess I'm not going outside to play catch or fly my GI <laughs> Joe Sky Striker around immediately, at least you know. So you had to know what was going on, and it was always weird to see characters, see actors not in their costumes talking about it. That just wasn't the case. Oh, hey, I'm going to pause because we have a network issue. Yeah, I don't know what just hey. happened. We we just had like a connect connectivity issue. But um, yeah, like I was saying, you know, it's it was always weird when we were uh, watching TV to see actors not you know in their civilian in their street clothes and not in their costumes when it was a sci-fi show but you know if you were watching i don't know like magnum pi all of their <laughs> epk stuff uh that's electronic press kit all of that all of the uh press and stuff like that that they did you know you just have tom Selleck sitting there on a director's chair in uh in those short shorts and a i don't know hawaiian shirt or whatever so. As opposed to seeing John Luke Picard in his uh, in a non dress robes or just standard yeah. uniform, right? Pretty much. Yeah. While we're talking about uh, uh, anything sci fi, I want to talk about what's going to be the shit show of uh, episode nine of Star of Star Wars. Oh uh, that preview, that preview, I, I didn't appreciate it. The trailer. If that's the yeah. only trailer I see for the movie, that actually looks passable passable like the mere like the only at this point the only compelling factor for me to see one more star wars movie in this vein of things i like right. rogue one i didn't have a problem with solo but i haven't watched it again but i like i listen to the rogue one score a little bit of it every day i think i just can't quit listening to your father would be proud that that piece of music just gets me and um but uh, yeah, these three movies, these two movies have been, uh, they, oh God, I mean, you remember what George Lucas said uh, when he was being interviewed for, God, I don't know, what was it? The uh, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the Indiana Jones 4. He was I sitting there with Steven that. Spielberg and they were being interviewed on E.T. or something like that. I'm crediting E.T. for a lot, but uh they were like, hey, you know, what do you think? Do you think everybody's going to like this and blah, blah, blah? And George Lucas was like, no, they're going to get up there and up in arms and complain about it online. And they're going to say that you're ruining their childhood and all this stuff. And <laughs> he is not wrong because he did that already. And now instead of doing we all sat there and complained about what he did to Star Wars and the prequels. Right. When he had the reins. And now we're all sitting here going, God, I wish George was driving the bus still. It's the same. <laughs> it, it was funny because two or three years ago, I was working on a movie with uh, with some guys from L.A. And they were one of them was a Democrat. And then uh, one of them was definitely not. And uh, I remember listening to them like kind of jive, you know, jive about it and talking about Donald Trump. And they were like, because we had a whole we had a whole gag in that movie about George W. Bush and mm -hmm. uh, the movie isn't released yet. So I'm not going to say what it is. Um, but uh, when it comes out, I'll make a point to say something about it. Um, and uh, we were talking about W a whole lot. 
And the guy from LA was like, man, I get a little nostalgic thinking about him now, you know, yeah. uh, like what the, the what the country before. was like and uh, what the uh, what the circumstances were. And I kind of miss him now. And I'm like, dude, you know, I, I, I I'm not a dyed in the wool Republican or anything. I kind of figure myself as a constitutionalist. If it's the law, it's the law. The law can be changed just like my mind. So it's okay. But uh it's ex girlfriend syndrome, hindsight. Except not all girlfriends, though. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, not all girlfriends. Uh, not but, uh, all of them. Hell fucking no. But um, yeah, I mean, it was just interesting looking at that. That's the way I feel about Star Wars now. I'm like, I would take, I would take another nine George Lucas movies, of Star Wars rather than uh, another another one from JJ, who did way better with Star Trek than he did with Star Wars, in my opinion. Agreed. And, uh, uh ryan johnson dude i had an opportunity to go work on a movie with uh with him in uh, boston that also hasn't come out and um i would have been fine doing it but at the same time man i gotta say i hated hated the last jedi uh that was a piece of shit dude so what do we think about this preview lando uh, that's the only thing i care about lando and what the hell they're gonna do with palpatine like it it seeing lando is gonna be awesome it's a work it's gonna be great i don't it's, think it's, i don't think we'll see palpatine really i think it's a gonna work. be he's gonna be a he's gonna be a, a five minute force ghost and everyone's gonna be like what the fuck <laughs> yeah totally unless he uh i mean I, how do you salvage this mess you know i don't know man i've I, seen some discussion groups right now that are slaving over why uh ray has a white lightsaber blade uh and oh, she like, didn't even care and then another guy zooms in at work. He's like, no, that's, that's definitely blue. And I'm like, well, I'm, I, I don't care. <laughs> Dude, Luke had a red lightsaber in a uh, in some kind of press uh, when Empire Strikes Back or actually when Return of the Jedi was coming out. And then that was just like a, you know, hey, that might be the thing. But that's one of those things where they can they can say whatever they want to this far out and then they can still go in and change it however they want to even up to the last minute before this, before the actual release, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, uh, that's all I got to say about that. I just, I, mean, I want to see, uh, it's going to be worth hearing some spoilers and then seeing it like a week later. And I'm not going to be in line. Like those days are over. For those... real. I don't, I don't think yeah. I made a point. I can't remember when I went to see it last time, but I didn't go, you know, I live in a town that has a movie theater and it's not like, a five-star movie theater. Um, you got to go an hour away in one of two directions to see things on the big screen proper with good sound. And I'm not driving out of my way to see any more freaking Star Wars movies. Nope. You know, even, I mean. I didn't watch it until it was on the red box. And even then, like I was pissed, but I rented it and forgot about it. And it was sitting in my, in my PlayStation four for a week. And it was just like, <laughs> son of a bitch. Like just, that's how they yeah. get you. That's how they get you. But right. just to bring it back, I, I can just picture you in your head right now, like that 80s montage of you as a kid, like being all happy watching Star Wars and then getting progressively more sad as it just more and more disappointing. That's you. the way episode one went, man. I mean, I was at least more or less interested in the gigantic battles that went on. There were, at least there were Jedi and there were battles in Attack of the Clones. You know, 
I had been waiting my whole life to see a bunch of Jedi fight something and use Jedi powers. And when it came right down to it, I've written better Jedi in my own material that aren't Jedi. Not even in fan fiction that I wrote in high school. I mean, ugh, just my my wizards, my space wizards did what I wanted to, what I always thought the Jedi would do, and we really never got it. We never got it. I don't think we got the kind of Jedi I wanted to see until the uh, Mace Windu episode of the Gennady Tartakovsky Clone Wars shorts in what, 2005 or something? That was and, a long ass time ago. Dude, if you get find those on on uh YouTube or something like that. I don't even know where you find them, but they are freaking rad. And uh well, they're, anything they're the ones anything that Tartakovsky right does. Oh man. Can I get some more Dexter's lab? I mean I, I have Samurai Jack too. Samurai Jack? Intense. Uh Dexter's Lab, I got this real quick. When I first saw Dexter's Lab and I got through like a couple episodes, they were just short and sweet. And I think to myself, I haven't laughed that hard that quickly since Looney Tunes. <laughs> All right. Well, not since Bugs Bunny. Not 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 like in a cartoon. But let's stop. Let's stop. Yeah, let's get out of uh, this. Yeah, let's get out of it. We were talking about stuff that sucks. We started talking about something that's cool like Kennedy. And it's time <laughs> to talk about some kick-ass comics that came out this week. But yeah, first, it's comics time. We're at, it's comics time. We actually, you're going to wrap up your uh, synopsis and uh, your opinion of how the story went with uh, the Black Order, the miniseries they did that oh, unfortunately, right. unfortunately yeah. got canceled. We're going to talk about Kick-Ass 13, mm -hmm. Spider-Man Hunted 19.HU. God, those HUs are badass. They really uh, are. They are the, uh, they wield the sword right there. Farmhand number seven. Oh, yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy number four. Green Lantern number six, which was excellent. Uncanny X-Men number 16, I was so surprised at how, how well it's been going. Like, I, I really had to reread them, and I've got, I've got some good stuff to say about that. Little Bird number two. Oh, Little Bird number two. Oh, it was wonderful. Uh, you, and you, you're, you're here to sell me on Spider-Man Life Story number two, the 70s, because I didn't like the 60s. And you haven't uh, read it, right? I have not read it. Okay. Not yet. And you've got Star Trek Q Conflict number three, and Daredevil number four. World of the Realms number two. I have not read that one yet, but spoil away. I mean, as of course, guys, it's all spoilers. Oh, yeah, and, we're all spoilers uh, in here. Yeah, World of the Realms number two. Uh, take us into the Black Order. Dude, yeah, so, I mean, I think I inadvert... I, I'm fascinated by those characters. You know, Thanos had this, you know, weird pirate ship. I've never liked the idea that Thanos was a pirate, but when it really comes down to it, Thanos is a super scientist that happens to also be a pirate, a pirate and he is cosmic level amazing without a cosmic cube without infinity gems without all kinds of stuff going any other weird stuff he might have and he's just you never can count him out uh and he uh but having a bunch of minions he always had like some wacky crew of pirates it seemed even if the story was all about him he always had these right. weird pirates but then uh, here he shows up with five individually specific and interesting characters that are working for him in one way or another. And these are the guys that were his minions, of course, in uh, Avengers Infinity War. Um, clue us in, clue us in uh, to the uh, five minions for those that are uh, still unfamiliar with the Black Order. What do we got? We got Corvus Glaive, Proxima Midnight, Black Dwarf, uh, Ebony Maw... 
Oh man, who's the other? There's uh, there's another one that isn't the Black Swan, right? It's not four and then the Black Swan. That's crushing me. I'm gonna have to look it up. But uh, I got you. Yeah, I got find, you. Find keep, that keep one going. for me, and I'll just keep going. Yeah, and the th and dude, and then uh, the Black Swan wasn't even really one of his guys. She jumped onto his team, and I mean, she's a fascinating character. Uh, she graces the cover of issue four, and um, unfortunately, there's only five. But I will say, I think it's totally worth it if you're into this book. Get the variant covers. There were three variant covers for issue one, and then all of the other issues had uh, a variant that was painted, and it was a close-up, full-frame focus on the character's face who was propelling that particular issue. And uh, so... Those were, those were gorgeous painted covers, by really, the way. Those... Yeah. The sad fact of it is that... In an era of uh, God rest his soul, Stan Lee uh, banner covers with black back, black back pages, and there's just a lot of black printing going on, your fingerprints are going to leave fingerprints in these things. I I pulled out my number two and reread it today, and I still saw fingerprints on there from when I read it the first time. And it's just it's something to avoid if you can help it. I mean, it just ultimately it's it's deg it degrades if, if it makes any difference to you at all but uh i'm gonna say Some guys, comics yeah if you can find if you can find these in trade when it comes out i think it's a good story uh because they're already running around doing stuff in guardians of the galaxy right now um and the cool thing about these issues is while it's focusing on the events of each of the characters while they go up against this like slime bag empire that happens to have one of galactus former herald's super weapon uh that they need to procure to be able to uh make themselves super badasses and rebuild what they call the black quadrant which was a part of the universe that corvus glaive was the general overseer while thanos was dead uh or rather imprisoned on earth after the infinity storyline no, I'm sorry. It was after Civil War II, in fact. Um, and I know that was a convoluted mess. But uh, they're trying to figure out who they are and what they're supposed to do with themselves without Thanos. And they are, by themselves, a tiny Avengers for evil. They are badass in every way. So it's really, really cool that we got to see them in this last Avengers movie. It kind of sucks that so many of them got offed so quickly. It would have been cool to see them get defeated and then to get all offed in this next three-hour super movie that we're about to get, what, on the 26th in Endgame? Yeah. But um, like I say, each issue focuses on propelling the story as it is, but from one character's point of view. And sometimes you get a little backstory. Sometimes you get a little question like, you know, why am I the way I am? Or... Uh, the Black Swan finally details some of her story, which was unfortunately not as great as I would like for it to be. Um, just sounds like a poor girl who's just been passed around from one bad place to the next, but learning incredible power from each of them. And now she's, you know, the, she's queen bitch, but she's working with these guys for her own purposes until for whatever reason she can leave. But I will say that, like, for anybody who plays Hero Clicks, the... Uh, the Black Order Hero Clicks 
are a really great team to get together if you can manage the point value. And if you put the Black Swan on there, her power that makes her one of the single greatest unique pieces in the game is that if she is the last piece you have on your team and everybody else has been KO'd, you automatically win that game. Uh, That's awesome. If I mean, they, I, I, it's not like I'm spelling anything. These these characters have been out for however long. But if you're playing that against somebody and they haven't read your card, it's it's a great thing for you to know because you can save her in the back and she can just shoot people from distance. Pretty rad. Anyway, yeah. Are they are, are they rare? Um, I'm not gonna say they're completely rare, but you're not gonna get them all in a fast forces booster pack uh wherein they'd all be in the same box and come with a map and some specialized dice uh you're gonna find them in uh i think the guardians of the galaxy set oh gosh i don't know what did that come out in like 2015 something like that and um uh they're singles you know you're, you're just not gonna find them all together unless you find a cool ebay auction and even then it's probably worth it just get them all in one fell swoop Black Dwarf is unfortunately not nearly as powerful as he ought to be, I think. But uh, that makes sense because in the storyline where he was introduced, I mean, Thanos was like, okay, you didn't manage to take down Wakanda. You're dead. And so. Well, what what's the, what's the, what's a brief like idea? What's, what's the main encompassing story going on in this miniseries? Oh yeah. Well, they, like I say, they're out there in the universe trying to figure out what to do with themselves. And somehow or another, they are, going in to take down a slovenly awful empire that has a super weapon that's left over from one of Galactus heralds. And awesome. uh, yeah. And it's the, uh, I think, I believe it's called the bow of Gideon or something like that. I think it's Airwalker's weapon. And uh, it was this weapon that where they would fire at a planet, it would super enrich the nutrients that uh, Galactus was going to ingest and uh, would also prepare the, species on that world for accepting their fate making them docile and so this guy has this thing and he's been he's been creating an empire uh based on using this against all of his enemies and the um the black order went into nail this dude anyways they get captured and then they get paired up with another weak ass version of space avengers who are all very I'm going to say uh, they're a bunch of ingenues, uh, pretty naive in some respect. And then they reveal that this weapon is out there and the Black Order is like, oh, yeah, we're going to get that. And we're going to recreate the Black Quadrant. We're going to make our own place because Thanos is dead. But clearly. I don't know if this is going to carry on in anything else, because the Black Order is also running around in Guardians of the Galaxy right now, having uh, absconded with Thanos body, if I'm not Did mistaken. They it when at the end of the it was a five part series yeah it was a five part uh-huh was it and at the end of it did it anyway wrap anything up to where they're on their way to go get thanos's body at all that's lazy know. that's lazy i don't think that the uh, editors all sit around and i've been bitching about this for years way back since i've been working with the uh work since i used to work at a comic book shop I was always complaining, like, you've got 15 X titles running concurrently. You've got four right. Spidey titles. You've got the Avengers who are doing this world-ending thing that they're trying to deal with, and nobody else is paying attention to it. And that always drove me crazy, because there is a contiguous world. So, like, if Spider Island is happening simultaneously with uh, Grant Morrison's Magneto taking over New York concurrently with uh, whatever's going on with the, I don't know, the 
a nihilist trying to come out of the negative zone through the Baxter building. It always seemed like none of these editors were sitting around talking. Like, you can't even get them all in the same room to have coffee and say, hey, what are you doing with Spidey this month? Uh, I don't know. I'm doing this, that, and the other. Oh, no, don't do that because my thing is important. It never works like that. It's got to be one of those common gripes that these guys have. Like, we're tired of hearing it. It's impossible to get that organized. Like, that. that's not going to happen. Yeah, I, I just figured, I just figured, like, okay, so they've, that, it started not too long ago. Uh, like, like, seven months ago when Black Order first came out. Um, yeah, I've got it. I'm going to say it was January because I'm looking in my issue number two and it's, uh, dated for February of 19. Oh, so plenty way, of time. Oh, I'm Go sorry. Ahead. And by the way, yeah, it is a total of four characters plus the black swan who I guess we're quantifying now as a member of the black order. So Supergiant wasn't with, wasn't one of them. Oh, that he might be one who we're missing. Yeah. yeah. Corvus Glaive, Black Dwarf. Black Swan, Ebony Maw, Proxima Midnight, and Supergiant. No, Supergiant is a member of the uh, uh, Shi'ar Imperial Guard. Okay. Well, how did you feel about the story? I mean, like... Dude, uh, I really did, liked it. The, was I mean, it good knockout dragouts? Uh, great dialog? Oh, I mean, yeah, there's, there's so much to look at. And the panels are always... It's ever-changing. Uh, it is colorful. People are dis- are easily discerned from one another, discerned from one another, um, and even then, you know, you're introduced to this new situation, this new world, and you're you're looking at it obviously and going like, you know, I'm for the Black Order because this guy is obviously a tool bag. He's eating cats. He is shooting his prisoners uh, for for basically to put them into pain, not to kill them. Uh, he is. Uh, he has he is totally self-centered. It's uh, when you make a bad guy, when you make Darth Vader. Right. Then Darth Vader's boss better be way worse than he is. And <laughs> yeah, that's what we got, you know. Even <laughs> if the boss, Black Order, I the Black it. Order is the Black Order and you're they're they're your protagonists, they need to be interesting even if they're the bad guys. And that did not they did not fail us. So in the end, despite the fact that this poor book got uh, got uh, canceled, I'm going to say Derek Landy and then, you know, I'm looking at issue number two, but I mean, like, Is the, it the artwork same? was awesome. I, mean, I don't know off the top of my head if it was all the same all the time. Uh, let me pull up Comic Book DB because it's one of my little go-tos. But while you're while you're looking that up, I did want to I did look this up because it was bothering me. I didn't know the name of the uh, variant artist cover. His name is John Tyler Christopher. Uh-huh. And I didn't realize he was already one of my favorite variant artist guys because he's the one that did all those badass Star Wars variant covers where it's the toy packaging, the Kenner toy packaging. Oh, my God. Really? What a great connection. Yep. Dude, that's I, him. Those are, those have been beautiful. And I think. Let's see. Did DC start that with those like uh, uh, what was their big crossover event that they did that they had all the toys from? Because I remember there there were the Secret Wars toys. Marvel did a Secret Wars line of those, right? And then, um, DC did it with their um Super Friends, was it or Superpowers? I don't remember. I I I, I vaguely remember it, but if anything, it probably happened around the same time. So. I imagine each one is going to claim that we did it first, but, uh, but then even yeah, then I'll tell the, you one of the things I like, I, I have not been picking this up, but, uh, I'm a huge Robotech fan 
And I know Macross fa fans are, you know, going to find that revolting. But honestly, I've watched Macross. I like it also. But there's more for Robotech. There's more Robotech for me. And uh, so I'm always going to love it. And I know that Harmony Gold, I know they're villains, straight villains. We're feeding Harmony Gold by buying this new Robotech comic. But the new Robotech comic is good. And the variant covers are action figure packaging covers like we were talking about. So right. if, you, if you can find it, my uh, my local's not carrying it, but I didn't ask him for it either. So, uh, man, yeah, seriously, the Black Order book, if you're into Thanos, if you're, if you're trying to strike while the iron's hot and get something that's going to help you fill out what's going on with Endgame, and you're interested in these characters who were the... Uh, guys that the Avengers could beat up on because they clearly couldn't beat up on Thanos in the movie, go get this. Check it out. It's cool. It's got to be coming out in trade soon. You know? I think it's worth it. Say we lead into Guardians. I don't have that much to say about it, but... Oh, yeah, there's not a ton to say. We've got Guardians of the Galaxy number four, Donnie Cates, Jeff Shaw, David Curiel. Uh, finally, we just like you said earlier, finally we got some kick-ass action. For real. When we think about this and we're looking at, like, you you, you used to read, a tw uh, what, how many pages, like, in a Silver Age book, there was going to be action. There was definitely going to be some action in there. And uh, sometimes it was all the way at the beginning, and then it tapered off, and then it came back, or whatever. And though that's just not the way books are written now. If you're going to do a concurrent thing, you're trying to fit it into a trade. So... While I, like, I'm like going to say Black Order, there's a little of action. There's a little action in every book. Uh, but like Guardians, it's been kind of no action since issue number one. And, Finally, we uh, get to see Gamora. Finally, yeah. we get to see Gamora. And she didn't disappoint. She was super cool. Uh, what do we got here? I mean, like what? What? what I mean, what did we? Well, what's what there to appreciate me? about this? We got Nova. Well, well, Nova showing up just boom. Bang, helmet destroyed halfway. Uh, we've got some great foreshadowing here. It's just something real little. Rocket's in his <laughs> fortress, and they look back, and you don't get to see Rocket. You just get to see him poke the blinds down, see his hand. You don't even see his eyes. Is that and, what that was? I really didn't get yeah. the impression that's what it was. Yeah, Rocket's got a beef right now, and they, they're just kind of leaving him be. But that little bit of foreshadowing, so it means you know he's watching. And near the end, when you know Guardians throwing down, uh, Nebula's there, Cosmic Ghost Rider, which they are ruining. God damn it! They're turning yeah. Cosmic Ghost Rider into that bullshit. Let's uh, uh, he can do anything he wants, include destroy the whole Marvel universe, like we did a couple years ago with uh, Deadpool, and a couple years before, before with Punisher. And like, why would you guys even do that? How many of those did you actually sell? Oh, I know, dude. I mean, how many I've books did I see it. with a Greg Land cover that was X-Men The End? There were like three <laughs> six-part X-Men The End books, and it, they all, ugh, they just, I don't know, it just doesn't do anything for me. Well, each but, panel uh, is packed. Each panel is packed. There's it, It's a little, little talking heads, great dynamic poses. When Guardian is rushing in, like, ugh, Superman couldn't pose like that. Who, Nova? Especially with a, no, we're talking about Guardian. Oh wait, uh, Gladiator. Uh huh. Gladiator. Gladiator. Yes, totally. Space. Gladiator. Space and Gladiator. I'm, I'm space, retarded. Space Superman. 
space space epic poses. It's not just the uh, yeah, he rushing came in. anime lines. Nope, came in guns blazing. Yeah. Yeah, there was plenty of things alike in this issue. I mean, if you're not reading Guardians, I'm going to say it's worth it, finally. Uh, because at least there is some life and death kind of concern, and everybody's, you know, what's going to happen with Thanos? Everything has to do with Thanos, though, now. Is there no other awesome space baddie? How many times have we defanged Glad or, uh, Galactus? I mean, the Annihilation Wave was definitely something, but I think at this point it might be worth creating some new bad guys or making someone go heal for a long time and then swinging them back around, you know, especially if they were already good guys. I'm just loving the poses that are in this. As I, as I scroll through this while we're talking, uh-huh. it just, it stood out to me so hardcore. Like uh, when Gamora is just grabbing Quill, she's got that, you know, that, that blade of a knife against his throat and she's ready to do it. I want to see more beta Ray bill. Oh, I know, dude. I loved what happened with Stormbreaker in this. Yeah. It's kind of <laughs> ridiculous, though, that they're... He ends up being the butt of a lot of jokes. And I don't think... I, he's too noble for that. But then if you watch any Thor movies, you see Thor constantly uh, being the being the, the butt of the jokes. Right. So. And that is after they did their best to branch off from how... Uh, like what's the word classically inspired nobility that um, Kenneth Branagh really added to it to the oh, first story movie. Yeah. And they, they get away, they get away with it and get a little bit more wacky, which I'm not complaining about because um, Thor Ragnarok is by far my favorite Marvel cinematic universe movie. Pretty. It's, it's amazing that it's that good. I can watch it over and over again. And it's that entertaining. It's that funny. Especially when you find out, it builds upon its already existing foundation without relying on the previous stuff, you know? Especially when you find out that uh, Mark Mothersbaugh did the music. Oh, that made me happy. Dude, for real, yeah. That's very entertaining. Anything to wrap up on this other than the fact that they're for, they're doing the regular bullshit? Uh, if you guys want to know anything about wrestling, we're talking about the uh, near fall at the end. Peter's not dead. <laughs> Too yeah, he's going to kick... Yeah, at the beginning of uh, of the of issue five, uh, Peter's going to kick out <laughs> right, right at two. <laughs> he's going to kick out. <laughs> he's going to kick out right at oh, two. Oh, nice kick out. Yep. Yeah. Or he's um, going to or he's going to die, and he's going to have to fight Hella and on the way to the afterworld, which is what, what the uh, preview cover is kind of hinting oh, at, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Let me look at it. I kind of hope so. That'd be kind of cool. But I don't want them to take. Uh, I don't want them to take us out of the momentum that it's got right now for something like that, for a little like internal issue, you know, but what uh, would you, what would you give this scale of a one to five? Oh, it's a three. This is solid three. I agree. Solid three. It was, it was greatly executed guys. Three doesn't mean it's bad. No, it's, it's damn good if we're giving it a three. I'm, uh, I'm just waiting for somebody to split off. Somebody's got to split off and go rescue all those guys that were trapped in that black hole. Like, yeah. when it, we need all those characters back, or they're all just dead, or they're going to come back on a scroll ship or something like that, a la Secret War Invasion. I mean... Someone's got to save their asses, but we already know who it's going to be. It's going to be Rocket. <laughs> oh, that'd be kind of amazing if it was yeah. Rocket. Maybe they'll all come back in at exactly the right moment with Rocket or 
It might be a Silver Surfer thing. Who knows? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah Rocket's going to come in blaze, uh, blazing glory. And I wanted to bring up one thing when you bring up Silver Surfer. Apparently, there is a brand new Silver Surfer coming out tonight. Uh, not tonight, but uh, in very soon. And my friends over at the Iron Lion have a, an exclusive cover for it coming out. I wanted to talk about it real quick. Yeah, here it is. Iron Lion, they posted it today. I wanted to make sure. Artwork by Gabriel uh, Delato. Again, we're we, so we can never get... We're so bad at last names. <laughs> what, did you, what did you say? I sent you a... Last night, I sent you the last page from the, the, from the new Daredevil. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's cool. What? Uh, who, who penciled it? That's really cool. <laughs> and then I, I, I just took a photo. It says Zdarsky and... I'm going to say this is Chichedo. And uh, you were like, oh, God, not again. Another, what did you say? Kaleidoscope like, of a last name. A kaleidoscope yeah. of a last name to pronounce. Yeah. That's funny. All right, so, yeah, I just want to read it because these guys are awesome. They, they're, they've been really supportive, Iron Line. Uh, new Silver Surfer Black, number one exclusive by Gabriel Delato. Uh, they're going to have, it's going to be limited to 3,000 copies and a virgin uh, virgin cover, and it is, it's gorgeous. There's This is a seriously badass Silver Surfer cover. But they're going to be doing a sale for it on uh, April uh, April 27th and then a potential signing coming up later on in June. So that's definitely something I wanted to give them a good shout out. Uh, also, they, you know, that's partly in part by Kirby's comic art, comic art as well. But, uh, man, those guys are great. It's such a great store. I love going in there. It smells good. They're absolutely friendly. They remember your damn name. Uh, not that, like, not that, like, other comic stores aren't going to remember that. I'm just saying, like, I'm talking the second time I was there. Uh, of course, um, my my good friends over at Muse, man, those guys have always treated me so well here in Colorado Springs as well. And good shout out to them as well. I love having. I'm, I feel bad I haven't been able to go to uh, Friday Night Magic in quite a long time. Yeah, man, I can't think of any place that I've ever become a frequent buyer that they didn't know who I was really fast. You know, they just get it figured out. And then if you go in there and you're talking about some random character that you're trying to fill out your back stock of, like arno stark they're just like oh okay and you they, they're gonna remember you right and I, I feel like a, i feel like an asshole like i was making it insinuate like the other places don't know her name i just i was just impressed overall as a whole and i, I really want to do like a, a story about that store just in general and talk to the uh to the owners and the awesome gentlemen that work there yeah they're not gonna remember you at barnes and noble exactly which is why you should not be going to barnes and noble go there for other right. things but not comics I, I, I'm going to try to sell you on X-Men here, man. Uncanny X-Men number 16. All right, hit it. At least the title's correct, and it's not like Extreme X-Factor <laughs> no. or something. No, it's it's the it's the, it's the the logo as our eyes are going to fall on it and be immediately pleased. It's not, it's not overdone. It reminds me of the way my eyes get happy when I see, like, a comic that I know Claremont did. Uh-huh. Simple to the up. point. Simple to the point. I'll show it to you right now. Can you see it? Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, oh, it's the, the original logo. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, just the, the one that really pleases. And yeah. we've got it written by Matthew Rosenberg, who's been... At first, I wasn't sold on it, man. But I sat down and I reread them all. And Wait, did you say it was issue 600? No, no, no. This is issue number uh, 16, dude. Issue 16. All right, yeah, they're not... Uh, all right, I have to find it another way. Yeah, Go ahead. artist is Salvador uh, La Roca. Oh, yeah. Uh, Guru, Guru FX color artist. VC's Joe Caramanga, letterer. Oh, that guy. 
Yep. Yeah, that guy, that, he's, he's sticking out, man. Okay, so this is a slow burn. Uh, talked about it before just briefly. Uh, Legion and X-Men have absconded with the X-Men into a parallel universe, and everyone in the real world thinks that the X-Men are dead. However, as the story goes on, more and more X-Men come out of the, you know, all the, the dark the dark areas of the world and what immediately picked up for me in a previous issue, I think it was 14 or 15 was, uh, Morlocks. Oh man, the Morlocks. Callisto came out guns blazing, man. First thing she did was knife to Wolverine's face right in his eye, <laughs> right in his eye, right in his eye. And Cyclops, he is gathering. I, I don't want to say ragtag cause that's not, that's not it at all. It's we're talking, once you start seeing the X-Men that he's finding, you're slowly realizing they're not just D-list guys. These guys were all leaders in their own right at some point in the history of the X-Men, like magic. Uh, that's All of a sudden they realize it's a really good uh, turning point in, in, in uh, six is when they realize Scott's like, you know what? I can't be leader anymore. I'm not going to be leader. Let's take a vote. And then it was like, how about we just all take a vote? Like that's what we're gonna start doing. So they're they're gonna stomp out that normal thing that always happened in X Men. Uh, Cyclops makes a decision. Someone gets pissed off. They do it anyway. They question him forever. They get mad. Uh, the voting thing is gonna you know leave room for that not to happen for other things to happen. They are playing ball with Captain America, kind of. They've got uh, someone within the system helping them out, letting them know where they need to go, and they're trying to find as many of the as many of the X-Men that they can find any, any mutant whatsoever and try to stomp out any of the problems that they are directly responsible for, whether or not they created the villain or not. It's just that these are their bad guys and they've got a list. Oh, wait. Yeah. You were telling me about this the other day about how this is. Yeah. They've got a list and they're going to like, we're going to tie up all the loose ends because we know we're on the, on the way out. Right. Right. But they're, they've, they're pretty much just hanging out and staying in bars and they, they've got Dark Beast. They're taking prisoners finally for the first time in quite a long time. Dark Beast is in the basement, and uh, a few of them had a techno organic virus. I can't remember exactly the ones off the top of my head. It's like Wolf Spain, that sort of thing. They've all got a techno organic virus. They're saying self this, self that. Like remember Warlock used to talk. Yes. And yes. Dark Dark Beast is like, hey, you know what? I might be able to help you with that. And he realizes that it's actually Warlock. It's not just. It's not. A techno-organic virus, think of it like his warlock was part of the phalanx. It's more of a parasite, and it can work as it can work as a virus, but it's more of a parasite. And in order to save himself and all you guys, Warlock actually split himself up uh, individually among all of you guys, and he pulls Warlock out, gets Jamie Madrox to oh. gets Jamie Madrox to because they need they need like remember in South Park, oh we need a victim child. <laughs> They're taking yeah. the <laughs> they're taking Kenny's ghost out of a Cartman. They needed a victim child to put him into. The victim child was a uh, Madrex multiple man made a cop <laughs> copy of himself and, you know, volunteered. And that's what's going on so far. But, uh, there's a giant throwdown with, uh, Magneto and the new brotherhood. Okay. And, uh, they've got, they've got a juggernaut. <laughs> they've got an amazing juggernaut. This, this is one of the best, illustrations of juggernaut i've seen in years but we've got pyro avalanche um random and toad who may or may not still have his powers but they're still scared of his tongue and they're attacking a, a u.s military base the x-men show up something happens knocks over magneto his helmet comes off boom on it 
into the head, it's not Magneto, it's Joseph. Oh, okay. Right on. It's yeah, it's it's Joseph. And out of nowhere how do, you, how do you quantify that? Did somebody just recognize him and say it on panel, or was it like, oh no, he's got his hair? No, what happened was is that uh, Banshee and Wolverine got knocked into him. His helmet flies off, and immediately Karma just Cyclops Karma now his helmet's off. Get him, and she just realized it's not Magneto, and he's okay. just pissed that you know that you weren't supposed to know this. He's he's you know wrapping everyone in metal, and he's you know he's dialoguing and telling everyone who he really is, and the Juggernaut overhears it and say, "Hey, you lied to me," and just t- knocks his ass out, <laughs> knocks him down. And as the X-Men get the upper hand again, what do we have? We have, they think it's Betsy. It looks like Psylocke, but what is her name? I feel like I'm off my game tonight. It's Quanin. That's who it is. It's Quanin. But now she's referring to herself in nothing. I don't even know who that is. Yeah. It, 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 okay. I was like, okay, quick Psylocke murdering people. Hold on, man. Uh, Let's see. Let me go back to it. It's just a question because it's like you see these patterns with some of the writers where they're like, I'm going to pull somebody out of nowhere that. Um, Matthew and, Rosenberg. Most Matthew Rosenberg. Yeah. Hmm. I don't think that's his yeah. MO. Yeah. I'm going to write a thing and I'm going to get on, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then on the last page, we're going to do this reveal of this character and everybody's going to go. Okay, cool. You brought us. Uh, I don't know what, like. You brought us James Rhodes as opposed to, okay, you brought us D-Man. And it's like, sometimes it makes a big difference because it's like, okay, yeah, I got a, I got a cool character that everybody's aware of. And other times it's like, no, this is my personal fan favorite. Well, we'll see what he does with her. Uh, She's got a kick-ass katana sword. Obviously it looks like, uh, it looks like Betsy. It looks like Psylocke. But what she does is as she just comes into the picture, all you see is a, katana blade and joseph's head clean off but oh, at the ground thing. not a bad thing at all i was like oh god i don't want to put up with this for for too long and then uh, she she fixed it for us and it ends with uh danny moonstar crying because um during the battle apparently wolfsbane was killed and oh. that's where it ends to be continued of course the the next issue is the quintessential wolverine and x-men standing by yet another uh dead x-man's grave with the <laughs> yeah well, uh, it's all it's right. A, They're the X Men. They'll be back a, in uh, in six months. There's it's a slow burn. It's a real slow burn, man. This one, this one, I'm 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 happy with it, but it was a slow burn that I really had to sit down with it all at once, and I hate having to say that. It's we'll see what happens. I I've got I've got my hopes about three feet off the ground, which is the highest my hopes have been for the X Men in years because yeah. I've been consistently disappointed. But I've We've gone too far with the X Men, but I absolutely refuse to read anything to do with uh, Age of X Men. I don't, I don't, I don't like rehash things. It's like when the WB always does, like, oh, remember that one time last week when this worked? We're gonna do that over and over and over again until people are just so tired of it. Yeah. And but they're doing something completely different. No, no, Rosenberg is doing a good job. Uh, artwork is phenomenal. It's not just constant battle after constant battle. There is real thick dialogue that is building the new characters. Uh, of who Scott and Wolverine are now, because obviously they've been gone for like a couple of years and they're, they're not going to do the same thing. And I'm liking it. Good potential. Yeah, um, something so, decent needs to be going on with the X-Men. I, I don't know what the last, I don't know that I've liked any X stories since, uh, uncanny Avengers. 
And, uh, I mean, AVX had its moments, which, uh, you know, it prophesized war between mutant and man. I think that was it. What do you got next? Um, let's go down the Spidey hole. I got two Spidey stories to talk about. Let's I'll, let's I'll do that Spidey hole. Yeah, man. Mm, spider hole. Uh, let's do HU. Let's do 19 HU real quick here. Absolutely. I mean, artist. Oh, writer. Chris Piccolo. Oh, Chris yeah. Piccolo artist. This looks good. That dude can do lizard. Look at yeah, all the scales every single time. Look at the frayed fabrics, you know, just like that used crumpled cloth appearance that like that just ripped up i'm living in the sewers look i'm dude i just i really really like what he did with this uh vermin makes an appearance here and he yeah. is authentically terrifying this is wait 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 hold on for it we got it we got to stick to it we got to stick to it All right we got a yeah. nick spencer writer chris piccolo penciler inkers there's a few of them uh wayne fosher uh live say uh, Jimmy Mendoza or Hymid? I'm not quite sure. And I think it's Hi- I don't know. Well, if, well if, since it's I, I'm going to if, if it's if I'm saying it wrong, Mr. Jamie or Jaime, I apologize, but I just want to do my best. Victor or, or is it Olazaba, Tim Ola Townsend, and Alve. And Alve. Eric Archinega, color color artist, yeah. And VCs. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Car- Car- Magna. <laughs> Magna. Car- Magna. I'm going to call Car- this guy. Uh, that's our recurring. It's a recurring joke that we actually wouldn't mind I, taking well, seriously, I guess. I'm trying. I'm legitimately trying, man. But yeah, this <laughs> when, when you're when you're talking about the lizard, the last time I liked a, someone's lizard this much was McFarlane. Honestly, yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> I got the same. I'm not even going to go into it, you know, like the same beef I have with uh, the whole thing, because at a certain point. So in this issue, um, it is taken from the lizard's perspective and him trying to uh, he lizards out so he can go capture the taskmaster and get him to take him to where his son Billy is. And he has an implant. The lizard has an implant inside of him. That whenever he has aggressive feelings, he basically just uh, just KOs. He goes unconscious. And um, he uses his brain. Because yep. even though he's the lizard, at this stage, he can use his mind. He's not the Hulk, where he just goes on to a rage th- tangent. But uh, he basically poisons the Taskmaster to blackmail him to get him to do something. Taskmaster has an immunity to tons of poisons, but... This was a particular cocktail that the lizard was aware of that he wouldn't be able to deal with. And um, they go and they try to capture vermin to uh, help get them in through the impenetrable shield that Arcade has uh, put up. (laughs) And uh, what is the other business here? There was a particular line. I got to find it that I really liked that Taskmaster spilled out. And basically, I think they were like, Hey, why are we going to go do anything with the vermin? Oh, wait, no. You know, I think it was Arcade. Why are we doing anything with the vermin right now? And then he's like, yeah, I don't want him. Uh, I recognize that he's part of the entire, like, craven lore and everything. But uh, no, he's not worth it. It was it was a cool story, cool thing to me because Craven's Last Hunt. If you've If you're reading this and you haven't read Craven's Last Hunt, 
go do it. They have reprinted it year after year after year. It never library. gets at the library. Yeah, you can find it at a library. It's on the Marvel app, I think, too. Yeah, it's absolutely one. It, it is the best Craven story, period. No Craven story before or since is ever going to defeat Craven's last hunt. Why? Because Spidey just came back from Secret Wars. He just got married to Mary Jane. He has the symbiote costume. Uh, he gets kind of tricked into fighting with Craven. And then Spidey takes a shotgun blast to the chest and gets uh, drugged, buried for two weeks. And uh, Craven eats thousands of spiders to take on the essence of the spider. And does he actually gain spider powers? No, but he becomes the spider. He -hmm. becomes Spider-Man for a couple of weeks. And meanwhile, Peter beats his way out of a grave and it is cinematic in its quality it rises it's like it's uh it's like batman uh the batman versus bane movie with that piece where he's climbing out of the out of the prison and the music is just cresting you can feel it reading that issue and pd peter gets out of there and he finds what's going on in craven's place and he's like i'm gonna beat the crap out of you he's like you're not because you need to go out and save people because vermin vermin's out there Dude, I'm talking about that because you need to read that. This also, despite a lot of my Amazing Spider-Man misgivings for the last, I'm going to say, 10 years, uh, this is still pretty fun. This is still really good. I don't need well, Arcade to have a good time, though. Um, well, first first off, it's it's part of a, a, a side story. The .hus has been right. phenomenal. Yeah. This one wasn't as poignant as the last one was. That like that one was a tearjerker. That one, oh that one God. was introspective. Yep. And and for everyone that's listening, the reason why the lizard has that like I don't want I want to just refer it as like some sort of inhibitor chip, but so he doesn't lose his mind and you know kill anyone or hurt anyone and yeah. as. As to where last time we ended up, you know, the re- repercussions where his his wife and his son be- became lizards themselves. Uh, you realize that at the end when Taskmaster sells them to Arcade that it's a work, right? Uh, yes. Uh-huh. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a complete work. And it's funny. I, I was like, oh, man, how's the lizard going to get out of it? And then I, then I remember when he said, oh, yeah, he's poisoned. Yeah, uh-huh. they, they, this was this was all staged just for Arcade. And yeah, because yeah, the lizard Taskmaster has to still- get in there to find his kid. That's it. And he's still in Taskmaster still needs that damn antidote. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's brilliant. That's super fun. It's just I what I dig about these HUs is that there is too much content for this storyline to fit in the regular chronology. And this is gonna be a fat, hardback, an expensive one when it comes out. All these Greg Land covers are kind of going to go to waste. They're going to figure out which one they're going to go with for the entire storyline. Well, they'll, uh, they'll put it. They'll put the rest of them within the pages. They will, um, but it's just. I mean, they're they're gorgeous. They're really. I want to know. I want to know how the hell you write for Chris Piccolo, because writers, there's no way Jason Aaron, as huh. imaginative as he is, is going to be able to think like Piccolo does the way he structures his cell, his uh, the the panels. Dude, you mean the, way the middle. It, that's the only the, way. The way it, the way it, well, I know meet in the middle, but even then, like, I wonder if he just gave him the dialogue and then, he, and you know, Bacallo shot him the, uh, 
did his best to squish it into, you know, 26 pages or whatever, how many it was and let him know if like, yeah, this fits, I needed to trim this or we need some more. I, I would, I would love to be a fly on the wall watching, watching the creation project process for, for Bacallo. Man, I would or, go to or a panel. Even write for him. I, I gotta say, I despise going and sitting through panels, but I would like to go to an artist heavy convention and visit with them about that. I would stand in line. I would pay for something to be able to ask these questions uh, up close and personal. Maybe that's something I ought to think about. I've got my beautiful J Lee ink drawing of Namor, the Submariner. Uh, but uh, I would take some Chris Piccolo. I would pay for some Chris Piccolo stuff. Man, I'd pay for that too. Just sit but there and just... visit with him for a while. Like we did with shooter. Oh, that was a good day. That was a good day, man. That was a great, that was a good that day. Was a great trip. But uh, yeah, you know, yeah, let's so... wrap the... I just, I'd let's, say, let's, yeah, if you're reading Amazing Spider-Man, you need to be picking up these HUs. You know, they're they're too much. They're so good. They're better, in fact. It's it's like it's like when the uh, I don't know the internet shorts are better than what's going on with the mainline TV series you're watching. I, I wouldn't say that they're better because we're looking at a big picture here. Yeah. Like it's, it's not like the HUs are trying to outdo the amazing Spider-Man like Canon that they're weaving in intertwined. This is extra spice that just happens to have a little bit more poignant of a story to accentuate what really needs to be highlighted in order for you to really get the guts of the story. The guts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's another thing talking. I'd love to talk to Nick Spencer about it and say like, dude, how did you pitch this to them? You you had more material oh. for them than they had enough time to give you. They could stretch this thing out. I don't know when this is going to end, honestly, but let's say it ends in uh, June. They could stretch this out until September if they were insinuating each of these HUs in the release. But they're they're, I, they're not going to do that. I am off my game tonight, man. I kept saying Jason Aaron, Nick Spencer, Nick Spencer. Get oh, it to your head, notice. man. I'm sorry. I should have. Yeah, no, that's too. that's my fault. But we only have. One, two, three, four oh, more yeah, issues before right? before it's over, and we get to see a preview for the cover, and it's Lizard thrown down with uh, Sun O slash Clone of Craven. <laughs> clone of Craven. Mm-hmm. Son of Craven. And this, I gotta say, I like that character. That's they really, man. I mean, sometimes they just invent something and they don't give you any reason to care. I mean, that's man. I'll always care about the Black Order a lot more than I did because I read the Black Order. I'm always going to care about this character. I could totally see this guy getting completely defeated and cut up by the lizard in the end. And uh, or I could even see the lizard dying at the end of this, man. But there's too much regenerative quality from any of these characters for them to be gone forever. Mm. What do you got next, brother? uh, We got to we got to stay with Spidey. We got more Spidey hole. Uh, Oh, yeah. Tell me. Life Story to the 70s. This, the last book was awesome. This book, I had, this is all spoilers, people, and there's nothing in here that if you read comics during the Bronze Age in the 70s that you wouldn't already know. Uh, And shame on you if you haven't read a lot of these books, but now I think about it. When I looked at my collection recently, I didn't have any of these in Marvel Masterworks. I didn't have these in any kind of a collection. I have issue 144, so what this pertains to is the original Clone Saga. And I'm not talking about the stuff in the 90s that turned us all off from comics for five or six years. But um, issue Amazing Spider-Man, or volume one, 
issues, I'm going to say 144 through maybe like 152-ish. And uh, what we have here in Mark Bagley's particular arts is uh, a still Chip Zdarsky book. Um, Mark Bagley, Drew Hennessy, Frank DeMarta, and uh, VC's Travis Lanham. All right, so it's it, it opens up opens up there we're in the graveyard so if peter parker's in a graveyard you know where he is right who's he visiting right he's it, obviously visiting gwen stacy no she's his wife oh in this one oh yes then I'm, uncle, i guess uncle ben then no flash thompson oh damn automatically you are turned on your heel and cranked over three times uh and it gives you dates for once eugene flash thompson january 20th 1947 to April 16th, 1974. Uh, Peter and Gwen are sad about, you know, Flash, but uh, they go to work and they have awesome, awesome jobs. Gwen works for Professor Warren and uh, Peter works for uh, an older Reed Richards. And uh, he's looking at the um, he's looking at the newspaper and seeing, you know, that Iron Man in uh vietnam which is still happening in 1977 the vietnams because black dynamite only has fond and pleasant memories of the vietnams i don't think anybody else does <laughs> but uh giant man ha- is coming to the aid but captain america is running around helping anyone who needs help in vietnam he is not an american agent he is an agent for what america should be in the nam that's fascinating and they led into that at the end of the first issue. Well, then you've also got Dr. Octavius working there. And he is married to Aunt May. And they, as you may remember from one of the spectacular Spider-Man issues way back, that for an instant, uh, Dr. Octopus and Aunt May were going to get married and Peter put a stop to that. Well, we've got this trio of, of geniuses working together. And Peter is asking the questions in his, you know, out outspoken what is it that we've got that could be ending this freaking war? You know, I just went and I saw my friend's grave. Should I have done something over there? Well, then we've got uh, Norman Osborn is in prison. Very much Norman Osborn and the Goblin, but uh, more Norman. And uh, Harry shows up and he's and Norman's telling him, you know what? Hey, some of my secret plans need to get handled. Uh, they've got to get handled. And... Um, then we're back with Gwen. Peter's visiting him, and it's kind of creepy because what what Miles Warren does, Doctor Warren and his company that Gwen is helping out at, uh, is growing new limbs for soldiers and people who have lost their limbs. Oh, that's badass! It is badass. So of course, Peter has a meetup he has to get to, and it is expertly rendered. Mary Jane Osborne. That's gorgeous. Mary Jane Osborne. So oh, no. uh, uh, I don't like it. Yeah. She's <laughs> like married it. to Harry and they go to, they're at studio 54. Peter is being his typical. Yeah. I don't need a drink. No, I'm not going to, I can't party. I'm, I'm just, I'm weirded out in the spaces like this. And Mary Jane gets hacked at him because Harry's passed out. She gets hacked at him because she's on uppers or downers or who knows what. Uh, in addition to drinking, she's been doing cocaine. Yeah, it's the seventies. She doesn't have him as an influence to keep from that kind of stuff going down. But we would have had the black cat if he wasn't married to Gwen. I think in these circumstances. So, um, 
uh, we've got uh, we've got Mary Jane revealing, yeah, I've always known you were Spider-Man. And why aren't you doing any? This is the crux of the issue, I think. This is the most important thing uh, about it. Why are you out there being Spider-Man, saving other people when you won't even save your best friend? When you won't even save me? You know, we're out here doing our own thing, but... Why aren't you helping us? Why aren't you helping fix our lives? And uh, it's tragic. It sucks. You get. You, re, I'm not even doing it justice. You have to read these three pages to get that feel for it. But Peter goes away dejected. He goes back to work the next day, and uh, he's talking to, like I say, a, a slightly older. Uh, everybody's aging properly. Now, Peter's in his 30s, so I don't know how old Reed Richards is, but he's like, Unstable molecules. Oh yeah, what do you want about it? What do you want to know about it, Peter? Why don't you market that to the world? Why isn't that out there for everybody to it's fire repellent? It's you know, it it doesn't break when a rocky guy is in it, it stretches with you, it never gets right. dirty. You know, it's a conductor, what or it's a non-conductive. What uh what's the deal? And Reed automatically goes into this like already programmed spiel. Uh Peter, the textile industry is worth, well, trillions of dollars, and every person on the planet utilizes it. Tens of millions of people, livelihoods, depend on that industry. The, the introduction of this technology would create a global upheaval. It wouldn't be responsible. Peter can't handle it. And he says some nasty shit about Sue leaving Reed because <laughs> of who he is, and he takes a swipe. Reed loses it and smacks him one, and Peter quits. And he's like, okay, I'm going to go see if I can take this job that I was offered with Miles Warren. Well, he goes there and he gets to meet up with Gwen. And well, who is he really? There's, there's a who goblin is he really attack. Getting, who huh? was he really getting mad at, though, with Reed? Was he getting mad at Reed or was he getting mad at himself? It's, he's he getting taking, mad at himself yeah. because he didn't go. This is, I'm sorry, that's what. what particularly MJ was upset about you didn't save flash you could have gone to vietnam you could have helped stop the war you could have made sure that flash came back to us why is that his responsibility to save everyone that's one of the things that because with great power comes with great responsibility and you've got to remember the first issue and that was the crux of the first issue i have this right? great power why am i not going over to vietnam and then it's like, why is Vietnam still happening in this story? But especially with Iron Man and Giant Man helping out, I mean, that's a big deal. Okay, but like, guys, I'm just going to say in this next next part of it, there is a goblin attack. And it's clearly Harry. He's the black goblin. But I'm not going to say any more about this. I'm not going to tell you what happened because even though I've read this kind of a story before, and even though I have written this kind of a story before, this still was such a gut punch, a full body chill reaction, a full reaction I had. I had an emotional nausea when I realized what happened. And like I say, we've all read this thing, this type of thing before. We've all seen it. it we are, we're reading comic books. We're reading science fiction. We're reading all kinds of stuff. This got me, and I don't want to spoil it. I just don't want to spoil it for you. I think that this is worth your what? 
And uh, sounds like it. You've sold, dude, you've sold me on it, dude. You just got to get it. Uh, I'm not going to say I got weepy, but it made me realize that everything old is new again. And there's no reason why. Also, you always, we always hear, you know, if you're a writer, if you're, if you're a writer and you're here, you're always thinking to yourself, I'm not doing anything new. It's all been right. done before. Yes, but there's always a new audience. There's a new generation who's never read it before. People told me for years, what you're writing sounds like Ghost in the Shell. It sounds like Ender's Game. And I'm like, guys, I've never read those things. And you know yeah. what? I still haven't. I watched them when they came out in movies. I had friends hand me audiobooks to listen to them. I'm just saying I've got a situation that's going to be completely obvious in the book I'm rewriting. And uh, I I still read this and I was like, holy crap, that's dynamic. So I'm very excited about my, my work and that it, seems like it's all been done before. Well, when, when, you, when you go back to new audience, uh, I like how these books have uh, a lesson the way like Jeff Loeb um the you know daredevil yellow th there was always a oh, lesson yeah. to it and this one it sounds like the lesson is you okay mary jane's getting mad at peter and it starts this domino effect he gets mad at at reed and reed just you know just you know puts the kibosh on it but yeah. all these people like save yourself like why was it spidey's responsibility to save mary jane from being a coke addict and for not letting harry spiral down into whatever like self-pitiful spiral he always goes down why is it his his responsibility you got to take care of your own yeah it's your own up to a certain point but he's got a wife you, you can't you can't be doing that for everyone i'm not saying not try i mean obviously as a friend a lover whatever you want to put it you got to do your best but when it comes down to it when you're when you're that old not old but like no you're, you're on the right you're 35 track. yeah you're 35 you you your responsibilities become more you know bottlenecked precisely you grow up you look in the mirror one day like jenny looks in the mirror in forrest gump and you look at the bags under your eyes and the bloodshot and the death deathly gray and you the veins are too pronounced and you just kind of go i am a mess and you go and you try to get healthy and maybe you eventually kick it or you don't or you go get rehab i i don't know what what people have to do for themselves but at a certain point people get out of it they have their kids they put the focus on that or their work or they have a sick parent that they look after something like that i think ultimately the learning the lesson will be learned through all of this that we all have to save ourselves but it definitely helps for someone to come along and give us a hand now and again. Uh, because even at the end of this, you can see how things are going to change to keep it in the, in parallel. This is a, this is a honest to God parallel universe to the amazing Spider-Man that we've always been reading. And like I say, if you want to, if you want to read more about this big gut punch, I'm talking about after you've read this issue, Try to find uh, issues in the vein of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1, about 142 to about 152, um, the original clone saga. And um, good luck trying to find a trade paperback collection of that because it's, uh, it's off the market right now. And I'm looking for one because it's 
probably better than going and getting a bunch of six dollar books. But uh, now, uh, now is the next issue the eighties? Yeah, it absolutely is. Let's is there? I don't see if the uh, cover is presented. Yeah, and you know what? I'm gonna say, like we've got, we've got Soviet missiles dropping on Spider-Man in the black costume in the coffin. So I think that's gonna have something to do with Craven. Craven, because what we nice. just talked about, Craven's last hunt. That is exactly what happens well, he's, in Craven's last hunt. He is Russian. There is that too. He and he'll be forty. He'll be in his forties by that point. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. This is the end, anyways. When I think about it, Harry, uh, Mary Jane, Peter—they're all thirty in this book, and Gwen, for that matter. And uh, yeah, like uh, they should be starting to calm down, not going to Studio Fifty Four all the time. Carry on, sir. I was sipping on some water. Let's talk about Little Bird. This oh, book cool. has, I, I was talking about Little Bird number two, mm -hmm. uh, written by uh, Darcy Van Polgeest, artist Ian uh, Bertram. They are the, they are the creators. Uh -huh. Matt Hollingsworth does the colors. Aditya Bidikar does the letters. And Ben <laughs> Didier does the design. Where are all of these guys from? Are these people uh, Norse? Are they Swedish? What's going on here? I don't know. I'm just glad I made it through that without sounding like an asshole. <laughs> yeah, we really don't mean not to uh, be able to pronounce everybody's yeah. names, but yeah, we we got Little Bird number two. Last time we we talked about uh, number one when we actually got our first big uh, interview for the for the podcast. Uh -huh. Little Bird number two. Yeah. The absolutely correct it's not just potential like i'm looking at the art and it's so stylized and it looks it looks like something that someone that with an untrained eye would look and like ew that's ugly but you can tell this guy could probably do classical forms paint you you name it i i, I know this guy has that sort of potential the the panels are so stylized and flow so well there's one particular uh, part where someone uh, collapses to their death, and it is ugly the way a body would fold at that sort of uh, oh, yeah. velo that that velocity and still alive, guts out, but not to be gross. That's just it just it's an accentuation to add to it. But Little Bird gets shot at the end of uh, issue one, and it starts out with her trip into I want to say almost like the veil. And it's watched over by a an owl's eye. One thing before you guys read this book, I highly recommend you do some sort of, uh, even if like at the base level, just read a Wikipedia page about how Native Americans respond to owls in general, about harbingers of death. I mean, the natives in Oklahoma are scared shitless of of, uh, of owls. I've had a couple of friends that wouldn't go into their house if there was an owl outside because an owl meant something bad was going to happen, and yeah, not just bad, like 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 death something catastrophic and i've heard other uh, native american lore where the the owl was good luck but you know it's all it's all in how you see it this one is good luck in the vein this one kind of reminds me of the way the owl uh followed around uh the main protagonist in the uh, novel bless me ultima by rudolfo anaya uh this this owl is following little bird around and the she meets her mother who is at the very same exact moment dying and they're in the veil at the same time, and she teaches her as a mother could, because the mother's captured. She's 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 been imprisoned by the uh, you know the evil church, which is actually Christianity in this one, which I'm not reflecting it is, but 
I, I you know, I don't want to alienate any readers that, you know, true believers like that sort of way, but they, they paint it in a, in, if the Christian church really took over and the mother's telling her the history of where, where she came from. And as that's happening, uh, the, the main bishop is showing his own son who has his own deformities that, you know, he, they got the mother kidnapped. He makes the kid murder the mom, sets her on fire. And that's when the mom disappears and he's telling him how, like, you know, they've, they've gotten to the point where science is almost magic, magical, like if we were to experience it ourselves. And they have been trying to experiment on a race of superhumans that they created, which is actually the, the axe from the, the first one, the, the big giant guy I told you about that, that yeah. you know, mm-hmm. almost that, that she goes to rescue. And that they're, what they've been trying to do is that they were born uh, against, they were, they were manufactured, but there was a mutation that they call the resurrection gene. That's why these guys keep coming back, and they've been trying to extract it out of them. But yeah, that's as much. I don't want to do too much spoils on this guy because yeah. guys, because this one, this one is going to hit you hard. It's definitely one of those ones where you get so engrossed in it, uh, longer, longer than the average bear of a comic, which is great. But you get so engrossed in it, and all of a sudden you turn the page and like, you know, damn it, it's over. Yeah, uh, great science fiction, uh, great introduction of new characters. I love little or er, little little birds. Um, her, the way her she's bundled up in the in in the cold. She she looks like an owl, and the owl keeps finding her. When she resurrects out of the ground, then there is an owl waiting for her. And guys, if if owls mean anything to you, I, I think this is something that you would be really special to you. Like if they like the same thing if they'd introduced Ra or any sort of like anything Egyptian, that I would recommend it for you know those people into that sort of thing. Owls native culture, it's it's ingrained in here, and it's probably specifically Canadian. But that's uh that's what I got for that that particular issue. Uh, want to just touch on farmhand number seven, just real quick. Uh, Rob Gilroy, this is his uh, this is his baby. Uh, previously working on shoe, written, drawn, created. Rob Gilroy, colors by Taylor Wells, lettering and logo by Co- Cody Chamberlain, and graphic design by Bert Durland. I wonder if that just is graphic design. Is that you think that's one of those things where they graphic design they're helping out with how they organize the covers and where the words are going to go, like in the uh, on the first page, uh, like when they're they're showing like the everyone's names, the or who did the book? Credits. Yeah, probably yeah, the credits helps, the, but uh, yeah. the, for figuring out spacing and what's natural for the eye, but also like um, uh, you think about like Fight Club three and Fight Club two for that matter. They all have those front, the inside cover of the of the cover, right. and they'll have the the little like uh. I don't they know, make the it pop and... section or something. I mean, sometimes you need stuff for that because it's you're like, yeah, maybe I want to do something along the lines. What does the interior cover look like? Are there advertisements for other books in there? Oh, uh, no, I think there's at the very end. Yeah. But the initial covers got the um, protagonist's father holding out a because a, um, he's what he's what the dad's doing is he figured out a way to grow human limbs out of the ground in a farm. And he's holding okay. out. He's holding out a kidney, a kidney plant. And at the end of the book, he's assisting with a, a, a kidney transplant. And he just wakes the plant up. It comes out of the out of the pot, walks its way there, and he coaxes it into the uh, into the body. And the, the doctor's like, well, weren't we going to cut out the other kidney? And like, no, no, this one's actually going to eat it. Be sure when he wakes up, make sure he knows, the, the patient knows when he wakes <laughs> up, he's actually going to feel that. And it's going to feel kind of weird, but it's not going to hurt as it takes over. 
uh, point of this particular book, this is a this is one of those uh, median books before things get really heavy. They found out that the uh, the seeds that the father's been cultivating is now uh, grown beyond their control, and it's infecting the it's infecting people. Uh, it's infecting the Laura, the local uh, flora, and, uh, flora and fauna, and they get at the end of the last issue, they get attacked by a giant boar that was infected with uh, the mystic, mystical plant type uh, hybrid body, and it, it's out to kill him. That's the the, the grandfather in this who mm-hmm. discovered everything. This is when the chickens are coming home to roost. Uh, you know, to borrow an old parlance, that sort of thing. It's <laughs> he's yeah. it's it's gotten to the point where the snowball is getting so big any moment now things are going to crack and whatever dark secrets he's hiding are, are really about to be exposed because like nine different things are going on in the town all directly he's responsible for. But now it's to the point where people are really tired of it. Highly recommend this book. It's this is definitely something that you're going to have to read from the beginning, though. This is not. Yeah. This, this is not one of those things where you open the page and you see the synopsis of last week. No, it's you're gonna have to read it all. Do you uh, do you know if uh, do you know what the press run was on the uh, or the print run rather on the original the first issue? Please. No, no. Do you know? I don't know. Oh no, I have no idea. I assume uh, it's probably pretty low. Yeah, because I mean, I, I when I went out and looked for a copy after we just started discussing it initially, they only had one issue. And uh, I went to another place and they only had one issue. And I just think that, you know, those number ones are going to start disappearing after a while. I don't know how long it's going to take for word of mouth to get around, but anybody who's probably reading into issue four or something like that is going to tell their buddies. And then uh, somebody's going to be like, yeah, you know, maybe. Yeah, they're going to be SOL because this, this is definitely one of those things they probably ordered like maybe like 15, 20 of the first issue each comic store. Uh-huh. And then it engaged appropriately because when I do see Farmhand, there's only like three, four, and I usually go every Wednesday to buy comics or, or maybe just one new issue that's of, of this that's sitting there. I think it's this is go this is heavily relied upon to continue by subscribers. Mm, but that's yeah, what I got. Their that's, first print is sold out. Yeah, yeah, but that that's not surprising for an image book. A lot of people are out there constantly hunting for the next image big thing that's going to happen. Yeah, and, I dig that. That makes sense. I mean, I'm glad they're doing that. I mean, like, hey, you know, the money's going to the artists and the writers, but read the goddamn books, guys. Like, don't just buy number one and put it, like, in a shelf hoping that it's going to accumulate some sort of value. I think the last time I looked up Farmhand on eBay, it was, like, maybe, like, $8 for the first (laughs) issue. I don't know that I ever look anything up. I mean, we're talking about it, so I'm looking it up. But, like, um, I think the last time I was concerned about what anything was going for, it was the walking dead just to make sure that, you know, whatever, just to make sure that it was going to be worth it for me to try to sell it when I did. And then, uh, um, I don't know, varying depending on the condition, I have some pretty decent silver age stuff too, but, uh, yeah. Tell me about the Q conflict. Um, yeah, what are we in? We're into issue three. There are multiple variant covers of this, if you care. Uh, cover A is by David Messina. Cover B is by David Messina. Uh, there is a third one that is different than the other two uh, by G- George Katsudis. I think so. Katsu- oh, my God. Katsudis? I don't know what the heck. 
this is a Scott and David Tipton books. David Messina did the pencils. Elizabeth Elizabetta D'Amico, uh, having done the inks. But um, yeah, this is continuing the story that's been going on where uh, representatives of four of the major ultra-powered entities in the Star Trek universe um, are keeping from having a war by having intermediaries kind of play contests uh, for their ultimate conclusion. So it, it kind of, it, think of like that schoolyard business where you'd have a team captain and...